Okay, welcome back wrestling fans to the North Florida Wrestling Show where we have our second installment of our Officials Call series. And we we're fortunate enough to have on a personal mentor of mine as well as a dear friend of mine, Hall of Fame official, Mr. Mike Nethercliffe. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, man, um, as, uh, as you know, uh, we had a colleague of ours, another Hall of Fame official, and Glenn Faust on uh, a couple, I think it was a couple weeks past. And, um, you know, I talked with Jordan about the continuing episodes of this. And I have several officials in mind, but uh, being that, you know, I worked with you and under you for so long in the North Central area, um, it just seemed appropriate to have you on. And I'm glad that you agreed to um, to come over and be on our episode. And Jordan, I don't know if you remember Mike. Um, he, I'm sure he officiated many of your matches. I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was either the whistle or the assistant on your last regular season match at uh, the Bobcat Duels in Gainesville. Do you remember Mike? Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure our past crossed. I'm sure I did some of his matches. I asked him before the show that. I didn't screw him over anytime. He couldn't remember, so I guess I did a good job. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was. That's what I said. We were we were talking while we were waiting for you to get on about. I was like, I'm sure in the the span of uh, you know my year round wrestling career, you know, following you around, I'm sure that he was there once or twice. But you know, man, like you know, just like you know, just like we were saying, um, you know, Mike, about how you know you're. <clears throat> You know, refs are in a, they're going to mess up a call every now and then, but I can't look you in the face and tell you that there isn't matches that I've had that, you know, I blew it, you know, where I blew a chance to win a match. And it's just easy for me to blame the ref than it is for me to accept my own, uh, you know, the fact that I didn't, you know, I did the wrong move or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've always heard great things about you. I've never, I always hear about the bad ones. So you never one that I heard about. So that, that should say, <laughs> that should tell you something. Well, that's good. Well, um, you know, so, so really a good introduction, if you really want to get a good one for me, is um, how did you get into the sport, you know, period? You know, we'll get to the officiating, but, you know, everybody has a first match. Everybody has a pr- first practice. What was uh, the first exposure to wrestling for uh, Mike Nethercliffe? Well, back in 1973, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, um, I was in a PE class. And I was always a kid that really enjoyed to compete. I'd fight you over Tiddlywinks, you know, Monopoly, Sandlot football. But unfortunately, it, when I was born, I was a preemie baby. So I was born, I was only like three pounds, two ounces. So I was always a little guy. I was really, really short and small in stature until about my senior year in high school. And I grew like seven inches and gained like 45 pounds in my senior year. So back in 73 in a PE class, my my PE teacher, Coach Larson, came up to me, and I guess he saw something about me in the PE class. He said, look, we're going to start a wrestling team here at Southeast High School. I don't know if you guys ever heard that. It's in Bradenton, Florida, big football school in the past. And he asked me to come out for wrestling, and I was thinking, wow, he's actually recruiting me. You know, like I remember going out to a football meeting when I weighed about 88 pounds, and all my other classmates, they got letters back from – the coach, you know, congratulating them and, you know, for coming to the meeting and looking forward to them coming out. And I never got a letter. <laughs> so it was pretty, I, I guess it was pretty much, uh, they didn't take me seriously. And so it was real novel that coach Larson invited me to go out for wrestling. 
And interestingly enough, I wrestled three years at Southeast High School, and I wrestled three of those years, I wrestled 98 pounds. So I was a little guy, and uh, I realized early that, wow, what a cool sport. I can, I'm small in stature, I'm a little guy, but I love to compete, but I can wrestle against somebody my size and my weight. So, you know, it was a really good experience. And then back in the 70s where I was running around, a lot of my friends were going the drug route. They were going, you know, making some really bad choices. I was from a low, you know, poor socioeconomic <clears throat> family. And wrestling literally saved my life because it, it directed me in a positive, really good, you know, sport that taught me about self-discipline and self-sacrifice, commitment, which, you know, we carry forward, you know, as an adult. So, which a lot of you, as you guys know, a lot of wrestlers, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a trait they derive from the sport. Yeah. So Mike, I, I didn't know that about you. I, I don't know. For some reason, I always thought you were from the, the uh, Ocala area. So I didn't know that you were, you're a Southern boy, figuratively speaking. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, your introduction, you, know, you got involved through your PE coach and, you know, that's like you said, that's the beauty of wrestling. And that's what I think um, that drew me to it as a youngster. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the same thing could be said for Jordan that, uh, you know, you, you have the, you have that competitive fire and you, you want to, uh, you know, be a part of your team, but you want to, you also want to feel like you have a, a legitimate and fair shot at competing and succeeding as somebody who is, you know, a hundred pounds heavier, you heavier than you. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with there, and I think that is the, the beauty of our sport. So how did how did your competitive um, career go once you got into the sport? How did you how did you progress as a competitor? Well, to be quite honest, I was a above average to good wrestler. And back back in the seventies, uh, your district tournament postseason. I don't know if you recall this, but one A, two A, three A, and four A were all together. So if you had a couple three studs in you know your weight class from a bigger school that could draw more kids sometimes the competition was really really heavy um and if i recall only the top two in the district went to state back then so it was really tough to make state tournament um i did well but i wasn't great as fortunately as i progressed up in my uh participation in the sport uh, I'd like to think I got better and better at each level and continue to grow. So at least laid that foundation so I would know how to work with kids when I coached and how to work with coaches when I officiated in, uh, in that respect. Where did you coach at? Well, after I graduated University of Florida, uh, I took a job in 1985 from eight, well, actually, 1984 to 1990, I was a head, head wrestling coach at Lakeward High School. And I was very fortunate. I had a great booster program. Um, the last three years in our in our school wrestling team outdrew the basketball team, which is, if you went to a Lakeward home wrestling match, the gym was packed. It's just a whole different deal. And back in those days, you're only allowed to do two regular season tournaments a season. So we did all dual matches. So they were very intimate you know, the kids like coming to the, you know, the dual matches and, and seeing, you know, fellow classmates. Um, so in 1988 and 89, I had really two top tier teams and the 88 team, I had a couple state champs. Um, we had, um, we had a situation where I had 50 kids in the program. I had three full squads. 
I had two kids USA clubs feeding the program. I had a middle school club feeding the program and I had another high school club. So we had lots of participation. And that year we went 15 and 0 in dual meets and we took, we, we won the district. And then we took, we kind of faltered in the regions, very, like 40 schools in the regions. We took third. And then I think I sent four or five kids to the state tournament. The following year in 89, we qualified seven kids to go to the state tournament. Uh, I think I had one or two placers. The unfortunate thing is we did really good. And that was probably a coaching issue, you know, how to train kids. We were always doing really well during the season. And then those two years, we kind of had a little downturn. As a coach, the art of coaching is getting your kids to peak at the right time to do really well. And unfortunately, those two years, we kind of had letdowns at the state tournament. But overall, very, very good programs. We had, and probably more importantly, and, and that I'm very proud of, we produced a lot of really good kids that came out in the community here locally. And I had a kid that became a commander in, in the Navy. I had a kid that toured all over the world with MMA. Um, I had a kid that had Tourette syndrome that became a fireman and uh, just a big community leader, really developed and taught and had to interact and get to mold a bunch of really good kids during that time. I don't know if I could do it today because things have changed a lot. I'm very old school. You know, basically it was like, you know, if you don't make practice, you don't wrestle. It was that simple. Um, so, but whatever I did do, it, it, it led to some good success. And uh, after the coaching, then that took me into my, my second run at officiating. So, uh, you know, you brought up a couple of good points there. And, and I, of course, I'm old enough to remember the days when duels basically ruled, um, you know, ruled the day as far as the competition goes. And, you know, of course, that's transitioned to more and more tournaments over the years. And tournaments are great, but I do miss the days where you had the, the two rival teams and the gym was packed and real um, exciting and intense environment. And, and you also touched on, you know, the lessons learned from wrestling and how they serve you well in your adult life. And I think that can be said just about anybody who's ever competed, um, you know, and moved on and faced adversity. They look back on that experience that they had, um, you know, as a wrestler and, you know, those lessons that they learned and the coaches that were influential in their life. And I'm sure that uh, many of your kids look back and do the same um, as far as you. So when did you actually get out of coaching? When was your last year that you coached? 1990. And I, I, in 1990, after that, I decided to go back into officiating. I, I'd actually officiated some, a little bit when I was in college. That gave me a little bit of background. Um, when I started coaching, uh, I felt at the time it was a conflict for me to coach and to ref, particularly schools in my area, being a coach. So I made the choice not to ref for those six years um, that I was coaching. And then when I got out of coaching uh, in 1990, I got right back into officiating. Um, so, so as you said, in 90, basically that year, the year after 1990 is when you transitioned into uh, full-time officiating. You didn't coach again after that? Right. Yep. Where did you I actually so coaching and teaching at the high school level, and I actually made – two changes. I left, I left, I started fishing again and I left the high school level 
and went to the elementary physical education level, which I did for the next 30 years. So during that time, you know, I did the bulk of my officiating. What's interesting is when I graduated from high school, you know, young and dumb, 18, 19 year old, you know, wet behind the ears kid, I decided I was going to join the local officiating uh, association in Bradenton, Sarasota. So I went to the first meeting and I got all excited. I got my matches. And then a week or two after the season started, I get a phone call from the booking guy and he says, uh, we got bad news, Mike. And I go, what's, what's up? He said, you missed your first match. <laughs> so the penalty for that was they took away, they took away the rest of my matches for the rest of the year. And then obviously I dropped out and I went to the local junior college and then I transferred to university of Florida. And when I transferred to university of Florida, I, I, re I refereed during, you know, the, uh, my college days at UF before I moved to Ocala. So was it, was it an easy transition from um, coaching to officiating? Was it easy for you to let go? Had you kind of, uh, you know, have you, had you felt you'd done everything you wanted to do as a coach um, and you're just ready to move on to officiating? You know, what was the fuel behind that decision? Yeah, I really enjoyed working with the kids. I really loved the competition. As I said earlier, um, yeah, I, I just, I just knew that raising a young family at the time and other, other things that were going on, it was best to, to just not pursue the coaching anymore. I knew with officiating, I could be involved with the sport, keep up with the sport and, and be involved. But as you know, John, when you blow the last whistle and certify the scorebook in the night, your night's done for the most part of coaching. You got mommies and daddies and athletic boosters and ADs, and, you know, parents and all kinds of things you have to contend with after hours. So since I was raising a young family, it, it was a good, it was a good choice for me. Well, Mike, we'll, we'll circle back around to, <clears throat> excuse me, to a few points that you just made about, you know, being able to stay connected to the sport um, past your, your competition days and past your coaching days. And like I said, we'll circle back around to that as we progress into the episode. But I do want to, um, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the, in the show that you are indeed a hall of fame official. Um, and I, I'm, I feel bad I didn't actually bring it up in Glenn's episode, but I'm, I'm going to do that in a subsequent episode because it you know, needs to be needs to be told. And uh, tell us a little bit about the experience there. You know how how that all began and and uh, what year you were inducted, and and just share a little bit um, of the experience as far as that's concerned. Yeah, it really was a cool experience, John. Um, well. I and in 2012, I had about 26 years of officiating in. I had I had my coaching years, and I had my participation years at high school. And someone nominated me to be in the Hall of Fame. And how that works is there's a there's a National Amateur Wrestling Hall of Fame, and then each state has a a chapter. In the Florida chapter, there's a voting process. Um, you get on the ballot. Uh, if you don't get voted in, just like football, Hall of Fame, and, and other sports, you rotate off if you don't get voted in and you can get nominated again. I think it took two or three cycles for me to get in, which was fine. Um, you know, some people say, well, to get elected to the Hall of Fame is just a popularity contest. But, you know, that might be correct in some respects. But my experience was the people that run the Florida chapter, they really – the Hall of Fame is based on lifetime achievement. So honestly, I was a little young. I was in my 50s. 
Um, I had a good, good amount of experience, but there are people much, much older, much more, have much more years of experience who haven't gotten elected in. And I was honored to, to get in, but the hall is about a lifetime achievement. So, um, the, what's supposed to happen is the people who, and by the way, the people that are elected in the hall, they each receive a vote. And those are the people who vote each year for the hall. So, um, I was honored. I got in, it was fun. They made me feel like a rock star. There was five or six other, uh, of us. Um, we had a lot of cool festivities and autograph signings. They make it a really big deal, which really is nice because you put so many years of hard work and time into this. It's nice that someone, you know, takes the time to recognize you for your efforts. So, um, again, the hall is based on a lifetime achievement. So, um, that's, that's basically how it works. And I got elected in, uh, 2013. So it's been about 10 years. Well, I mean, just because you're, you know, you're popular doesn't mean that's a bad thing. I mean, again, if, um, <clears throat> if you're a terrible official, you're surely not going to be very popular. So, <laughs> you know, that kind of, you know, I think people that, that, you know, say that are just kind of, you know, they're maybe sore losers or, or feel like, you know, maybe they're getting the short end of the stick, but, you know, if, if you're popular, then that's, especially in, in our uh, endeavor, as far as wrestling is current, concerned, if you're popular, then you're probably doing something right. So kudos to you on that. Who else got in with you that year, 2013? Who were your other? Oh boy. Oh boy. The brain cells, <laughs> short-term memory. Um, I think I was the only official. There was, there were some people, um, there were some coaches, and I'm sorry, John, I don't, I, I'd have to look back at the, at my program to remember. There were no other fellow officials to my knowledge that year. So, I, you know, if it was an official, I probably would have, it would stay in my mind, but there were uh, a couple coaches. There were some supporting people that, you know, worked at the grassroots levels involved in wrestling. Uh, I think there was someone that was a collegiate wrestler that had some impact in the state of Florida, but, um, Honestly, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't remember. Were you surprised that um, that you got in as an official? Um, I don't know. Like, I think a lot of times when people think Hall of Fame, you think, um, you know, coaches in some capacity. Um, were you surprised that that uh, that someone that that people have, you know, one, not only recognized how good you are at your craft, but, you know, to put that Hall of Fame moniker on that, um, you know, how how was how was that a uh, process of really taking in that whole uh, accomplishment? It, it was really cool. I, I really, again, I was really honored that they thought of me. Um, to answer your first question, I, I was a little surprised. Um, someone, I can't, I, I can't remember. Someone called me and said, okay, you're up for a vote. And I think the first cycle, I didn't quite have enough votes. And then the next year, you know, you drop down the ballot and they, they had new people. And then they revoted, and I had enough votes to qualify. So, you know, from the beginning, I didn't really, I didn't have any expectations or expect to be on the hall. But when when they elected me, I was very grateful and very honored. Yeah, I was excited. Yeah. Well, my dad is always talking, um, you know, extremely high of you. Like I said, I can't remember how many matches that you've repped of mine or how many interactions. But anytime that he says the, the you know, the name Nethercliff, it's always in very, very high regard. So, Oh, well, thank you. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you, man. Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> you know, I, Mike, I came under you and, um, 
in the mid two thousands. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, you certainly saw something in me with the, with the passion and, and, um, you know, the enthusiasm to, to get better. But, um, I remember the co many conversations we had, uh, way back then. And you used to always tell me that there's no substitute for that, that time in the game and that experience on the mat and going through those, those tough matches and dealing with the coaches and, you know, and developing your own style. So, you know, I really credit you quite, uh, quite much to, you know, to my progress. Again, I, I, I pay respect where it's due. So, um, Another point I want to ask, and I, I touched on this with Glenn and asked his opinion, you know, you've been in it a long time. Um, where would you say or how would you detail the uh, the progression and the quality of officiating since you started to where we are present day and, and detail some of your thoughts on that? Great question. Uh, I listened to the podcast with you and Glenn, and I agree with Glenn. Our sport has taken leaps and bounds. Um, in a positive way, um, there I'm I'm at heart a traditionalist, but I've realized for our sport to survive, we we have to be creative. And the National Federation has done some things that to help increase participation uh, with respect to modesty issues, you know, you know, uniforms and things of that nature. Um, I I. You know, I, and I look at the state of Florida, I can't speak for other states, but the way we have the system set up, the way we train officials, um, I would like to see it, to see us go back to a, at least one annual field clinic where, where at, le at least, if, if no less, one official from each association could come back and pass on, you know, rules, interpretations and situations and rules uh, issues. So we have consistency across the state. And for the most part, because of technology, we actually have gotten better without having to meet, meet as much. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think of the state of Florida and I look at our signaling as a group. Um, I believe in the bell curve. So if you, you, you go to any state tournament, um, there's going to be five, 10% of the officials that probably shouldn't be there. But there's a hell of a lot of officials that work hard, that deserve to be there, have the right mechanics, have the right uh, judgment, uh, presentation. Uh, they know their sport. Um, so to answer your question, we are so much farther than we used to be in, in a good way. Absolutely. Well, and I want to piggyback on what you said. And Glenn, Glenn said the same thing in, in his episode is, you know, and I guess the, the FHSA has their reasons on on why they did away with the um the on-site field clinic but i i really miss those and sometimes it was a drive depending yeah, on where yeah. you lived at and and um and i agree i just i really loved getting together with the other officials and talking about those particular rule changes for that year and mechanics and signaling and all the rest but it was also just a way to kind of you know get together and enjoy the camaraderie you know, and see we guys. We can listen that, to each other's war stories. Sorry to right. cut you off. We, no, we can yeah, listen yeah. to each other's war stories. Lot somebody would listen to us. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and I remember, I remember many of those field clinics where you know it, it got to be kind of heated. But in that, it what came out of those meetings and discussions was a consensus. Not not always a a cut and dry consensus, but at least okay, we're all thinking the same things here, 
and we're all kind of moving in the same direction. So, um, yeah, I miss those two. And I, I have the Zoom meetings. They certainly create a convenience for it for you and all. But I, I certainly miss the field clinics as well. Not, not for nothing. Not for nothing over here, but, you know, I remember you taking me to many a field clinic, Dav, and, you know, getting, being the, the, uh, the, the clinic dummy to be shown what was illegal and what was not illegal uh, with Mr. Bob Hunt. But, I mean, I think that's, like, honestly, I think that's such a great, I'm surprised, like, whenever you told me that they had stopped doing the field clinics, I was, you know, quite surprised. You know, I think that explains a huge drop off in um, just the, maybe not the ability, but the consistency of the calling across the, the state, um, at least in this different area. So maybe, maybe we can start something up, you know, maybe we can get a, a live officials call meeting with a couple of different officials and really get a, a standard going, you know, maybe the North Florida wrestling show would be happy to sponsor something like that. I would be all for it. Anything to get the information out. You know, as John, your dad will tell you, Jordan, our major goal, there's two major goals. One, we want the kids to be safe in the matches, but we really want to provide consistency to the kids who are wrestling so they get in a fair shake and the coaches will know what to expect. So our main goal is always to be consistent with rules, enforcement, administration, and, and that's always going to be an issue when you have a large state like Florida, but I do believe overall we've gotten better at it. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, this is my 23rd year. So, you know, I just know personally my progression, you know, when I first started and, you know, viewed the, the officials that I worked with on a regular basis. And, um, you know, and I look at those same officials today and it's like night and day, the progress that we've made. So, and, and, you know, that, that certainly can be credited to, you know, guys like yourself that have hung in it and uh, have mentored young officials and, and, um, you know, brought them up the right way. So um, I want to, I want to bring up another point real quick, Mike, uh, Glenn and I and Jordan talked about the uh, rule changes for this year. And we can discuss a couple of those if you feel like it, but I, I, I kind of picked his brain a little bit about uh, some of the, some of the current, rules and protocols, et cetera, that are in the Federation rule book that, well, I know personally I would like to see tweaked and messed with, but I'd like to get your take on that as well. So what you got? Um, as a positive, all in all, again, I'm a traditionalist, but I've kind of eased my stance as I got older and just, you know, for our support to survive, uh, the, the rule with the shaving, with the beard um, is probably a good thing as long as it's administered properly and, you know, the skin's checked. I like that rule. Um, the shoestring rule is a little shaky for me because uh, in an imminent situation, you there's a, a possibility that you could penalize um, the scoring contestant if you stop the match. So we heard we were going to get some more direction on that, but at this point I haven't heard anything from um, our state rules interpreter or the, the federation or anyone else for that matter, but – that could become an issue. As far as rules that I'd like to see change, I've heard talk about this for a number of years now. I would be very in favor of a one-second pin. Uh, speed up the matches. Uh, it might actually cause the defensive wrestlers down to have a little more urgency not to stall and, and to move a little quicker, knowing that if he gets turned over, it's going to be a you know, quicker pin. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Well, but. so let me ask you a question just to, you know, before we get – 
<clears throat> so what about defensive pins? If you're on, if you're a defensive wrestler and you engage, you initiate a sequence that puts the offensive wrestler on his back, is it still going to be a one second pin in that scenario? Like, does that give, you know, what's the leeway of that? I, that's, that's an interesting, that's, a, that's the first, that's the first I've ever heard of that. You know, I, I'm, I'm that's curious. That's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question, Jordan. Um, it could be structured that if, probably wouldn't be this way, but it could be structured that it would be a one-second pin across the board, or the rule could say, all right, if, you, if you're if you doing a defensive pin, you know, we're not going to penalize you, you know, as harshly, maybe keep the two-second pin, but probably to make it less confusing for everybody, it would, it would need to be a one-second pin. And it would, as you said, it would make the offensive wrestler be more aware of his positioning in a near fall situation too that'd be a tough yeah. sell. yeah i'm in i'm in favor of the of the one second fall i always have been um it, i think that you know you get put you get put to your back you know the you know the the pinnacle of our sport is to pin your opponent and i think you know two seconds and i think is too long and i i, I think that um like you said, in order to speed up the, the process and maybe maybe make the, the defensive wrestler wrestle a little bit more aggressively, um, you know, I'm all in favor for the one-second fall. Any other rules that you'd like to see tweaked? Yeah, the, the rule, the out-of-bounds rule is inconsistent with respect to takedowns and escapes. So, for example, if I do a Peterson and I'm the offensive scoring wrestler, and I turn the the uh, top. I turn the, my opponent on his back out of bounds, and my heels are in. That's a takedown. I mean, excuse me. That's a reversal all day long. You can't get a near fall, but you get a reversal. So it's feet in or heels in. On a takedown, if you have control, your feet are in, and that's all it's in. The, the opposing wrestler is out of bounds. You have control. That's two. But if you're on an out of bounds situation, you got a guy, you, you turn him, let's say you do a head and arm, you're the edge, edge of the mat, you got your posing wrestlers totally out of balance, but your feet are in, your toes are in, you know, you can't, you can't score a, a near fall. So I'd like to see the near falls and the takedown, the, the scoring opportunities all the same, you know, and <clears throat> piggybacking on that to make it even easier, I'd like to see you know, one foot, one foot in the, in the uh, boundary line. Yeah, I think that's coming down the line, Mike. I really yeah. do. I mean, you you know, I talked to a lot of officials, and um, and I've you know I had the good fortune of calling a couple of uh, Georgia events and Alabama events, and I like to pick the brains of a lot of these officials. And this is a consistent topic that comes up: the the gray area and the difficulty in calling the boundary situations. And I I really think we are right on the heels of, of adopting the college rule where facilities permit, obviously in the high school gymnasium, right. you may not always have the room, but you know, Just, if we're not up against, if we're not up against a wall or against the bleachers or off the mat, wrestling should continue. The offensive wrestler should be able to score as long as any part of it, of either wrestler is in bounds. That's the way I think it should be. I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, just make it the push out rule. I mean, that eliminates the space. If you go out of bounds, it's a point, and then call it a day. It's more points, more action. It returns it back to the middle of the center of the mat every single time. I'm ta- I'm in favor of the push yeah. out rule. Well, and yeah. that's one thing too. I've had a, I've had some heated conversations with um, a couple of North Florida wrestler wrestling officials about 
about because Jordan and I got it. We had a time where we were in freestyle, and I know you're very familiar with the freestyle game too. And that's an element I love of the international styles where, you know, you get you go out of bounds, someone somebody is going to get a point. You know, yeah. so I mean it's not even a judgment call at that point. So you put that element into folk style, you're gonna have a lot of wrestlers staying away from that boundary line. I'm telling you, that's for yeah. sure. Absolutely. So Mike, here we're gonna circle back around to what we talked about earlier. You know as well as I do, we are we are at critical mass with the shortage of officials, not only in mm. our state, not only in our state, but 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 nationwide. And I think I think this is the case with just about every sport that's played at the amateur level. So you touched on a few things that attracted you to officiating. Um, post your coaching in competitive days, you know, you know, being relevant to the sport, um, being around the athletes without having the headache of dealing with the drama that comes with coaching that we're both familiar with. So I know you're in a position now um, of leadership in, in the North Central organization there. What are your what what are your young what are your tips to the young officials that are in it? on on keeping them retaining them and then what what ideas do you have do you think that we can employ to um, increase the the young officials base well a couple things that have been happening more recently uh, i can't recall how far back but in our area we're having more coaches have jv tournaments so you've got young wrestlers with young officials coaches seem to be at least in our area the coaches seem to back off a little bit because one of the reasons we lose some of these officials is they get their ears barked off by these coaches and they you know they don't want to deal with it you know they they get this negative criticism and they're getting yelled at and whatnot and we lose some of those officials so the jv tournaments in our area certainly help um as a booking uh, assignment officer in our association i try to as much as possible get these new guys out on the mat with a, a veteran official, like, you know, when you mentor someone, a younger official, they can kind of encourage them. And another thing I do, it's not always looked upon favorably with uh, some of my peers, but I've always told my guys, fake it till you make it. You know, you can't, you can't, there, you, you can never have strong enough whistle and strong enough hustling on the mat. If you're hustling on the mat, you got a strong whistle, 99% of the time, the coaches are going to give you grace and they're going to, they're going to probably let you go on the marginal calls. So I tell them to fake it till you make it, try to have rabbit ears. And uh, before the season starts, when I send out the email to remind coaches about the expectations, you know, at the site when the official shows up and whatnot, I try to remind them to remember, please try to, you know, don't treat them with kids gloves, but don't, don't run these young kids off. Um, did I answer the question totally or my, my, uh, no, yeah, I think you did. I, and I think you hit it on the head, you know, um, it seems the attention span is not what it used to be with the, the younger officials and, and you and I both know that we, you know, when I was a member of the North central group down there that we had many officials come in and then stay a couple of years and they were gone for whatever reasons. And, you know, we've seen a lot over the years and it takes, you know, you have to get past those, yeah. Two or three, two or three, four years to develop a little savvy and a little presence and some confidence, and 
I know I'm seeing that a lot of um, a lot of younger guys they don't have they don't have time for it. You know, they don't want to deal with you know, and they don't want to deal with getting their ears barked off and um, you know grown men yelling at them. And it's uh, it you know they make the decision in their mind they got something better to do and and they do it. So yeah, I'm with you on that. And every 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 event that I go do. Um, I always talk to the upperclassmen and tell them, hey, you know, post-college, even while you're in college, if you don't relocate, if you do relocate, uh, there's a position for you to officiate somewhere in the United States, no matter where you're at, you know, and of course, I, of course, I extol the virtues of being able to do it. You know, you stay connected to the sport, you make a little bit of money in the process and hell, you may even end up in the Hall of Fame like Mike Nethercliffe. Well, I think, well, I, I think that's where it's, you know, uh, going back to the Mike Crowder episode, you know, something that he was talking about is like, he makes a habit of going and talking with the refs just because, you know, it's a community We're a community. I think that's something that, you know, losing the field clinics kind of took away. And I think that they could, you know, I think that they could bring back the field clinic and take it a step further and invite the coaches out there to one, not only understand where the ref is coming from and the understanding of the rules, but to also build that community, you know, invite the coaches out there, invite the wrestlers out there to be used as, you know, practice dummies for the officials, you know, cause it's only gonna, the better the officials are. It's basically to me, it's if you want the officials to be better, you know, figure out ways to invest to make the officials better. That might be that might mean sacrifice a Saturday, Sunday, so all these green officials can one get better at their job and two get to know all these coaches in the area. So you know, you're, they're not worried about some person that they've never known just coming there and trying to bully them and just saying like, "Hey, you know, this is what I thought I saw on the call." Like you know, like I said, you know, Dad, you're familiar with so many coaches that most of the time. A, a conversation at the table is exactly that. It's just a conversation at the table. It's like, this is what I saw. What did you see? And then you guys talk about it. You know, it's a, it, it helps build respect. That's a good point, Jordan. Um, I, I know uh, with our kids in our area, and I know the FHSA has taken some steps and a little bit to help us. They've, they've sent out some, you know, promotional, uh, marketing material, state and nationally to, to expand officiating. Um, I have one of my guys, he's a first year official at the University of Florida. And one of the, one of the factors for these young kids is, is cost. I mean, it, you're going to drop three, $400 unless you really can skimp to just get set up to get your uniform, your registration, all the things you need to do, get your shoes to officiate. So expense is a small factor. So I know the FHSA started a program where if you're 18 years old, in fact, this, this young man I'm talking about, he's actually in college. And instead of the full registration fee to referee to cover, you know, his, his registration and insurance and whatnot, they, instead of the regular fee, they charge him like $15. So um, expenses have come down to try to promote, you know, younger kids to, to get in the sport. And Jordan, you're right. Coaches can help us a lot. And one of the things I did before the season started is I emailed all our member coaches. And just think if every coach in the state that 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 had a wrestling program just would think about one or two really good kids. When I say good kids, like really great wrestlers that, hey, go jump to that wall. And you know they would jump to that wall for that coach and was successful and had all the moxie uh, and the right stuff. 
could take a one or two kids and send them to their local official association, you know, we could eliminate a lot of this. Because uh, as you as you mentioned, John, we're getting old. I mean, I think the average age of an official in the state of Florida right now is 55. So like you said, we need this young blood, you know, the young blood to, to join our ranks. Well, I think that the um, the state associations as well as the state itself certainly needs to get creative with incentivizing um, you know, the, the young, young official participation, because it's getting, it's getting, um, it's as thin as I've ever seen it, you know, and I officiate other sports as well. And the same can be said for those sports too, that, you know, the pool of, uh, replacements coming in does not match the guard that's going out. And, and it's yeah. not even, it's not even close. You're right. So, so, um, COVID and, hurt know, us a little bit too. It did. It did. Yeah. Um, but, but we're post COVID and I think we have to move on. And I think, you know, I, I, like I said, I do everything that I can do and every official, especially that's, I know in our age bracket, you know, need to start um, really talking up the benefits of, of officiating to these kids that we see on a regular basis. I mean, you know, even if, even if two out of 10 do it, at least you're making some kind of headway into, um, you know, increasing that, that pool of young officials that's coming in. So, Mike, I want to ask you a question. This was, this is not a scripted question, but give us a few of your of your top memories throughout your participation in the sport, whether it be as a competitor or a coach, as as an official. Um, what are some of the things that stand out over your your career as you know as a member of the wrestling community? Honestly, John, my fondest memories would be the rapport and the fraternity, um, the, the friendships that I've cultivated and, and, you know, uh, gained through the sport. Um, many of my good friends that I have today are only my good friends because I met them through wrestling, either as a former official or former coach. Uh, interestingly, people back in the early days that didn't mix too well with, we had some issues some of those people turned out to be really great friends. So um, I really have a lot of fond memories as far as the, you know, the, the, the fraternity of the sport with respect to wrestling. One of my favorite memories was uh, back in 2003, I was at the Lakeland civic center. You may, you may recall this. I think you were working at the tournament, but I drew the 103 pound match and combine the two kids, the Brandon kid and the uh, St. Thomas Aquinas kid, they were both combined 82 and 0. And I drew their finals match. And interestingly enough, the mat I was on, there was about 2,000 Brandon fans just directly in front of this mat. I mean, it was a sea of Brandon. And then um, probably back then, there was probably 10, 12, 13,000 people in the arena. So back then, if you recall, if you went into after this uh, sudden uh, victory, you went into a one 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 tie breaking system, um, and then you had a sudden victor, uh, yes, yeah, uh, ultimate, like we still have today. But back then, if either wrestler or both wrestlers had the same combined penalty points at a dead whistle situation. You could skip that whole one 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 and go directly into the ultimate tiebreaker. Do you recall that? I do. Yeah, it was really interesting. 
it's probably the last time I called a double stalling because, you know, even though double stalling is in the rules, it's in the case book, it can be called, it's pretty much known. It's, it's kind of like baseball where the rule, the coaches have to stay in the, the coach's box. Well, none of those damn coaches ever stay in the coach's box. They're all over the place, but it's never enforced. So as you, as you know, double stalling pretty much is never called anymore. But back then, uh-oh. There I am. Um, back then, you know, in this particular match, 82 and 0, these kids were not committing to make a mistake. So they just were kind of feeling each other out in the first period, second period, third period. And during that cumulative effect, we had we had a couple stalling calls. So I've made I finally made the decision, I'm done with this, and I called a double stalling. So it wiped out the rest of the one one ones, and we went right into a, a ultimate tiebreaker, thirty second ultimate tiebreaker. So at that point, it became a freaking Donnybrook. They decided they said, oh, "We're going to wrestle now." So to make a long story short, the St. Thomas kid was on the bottom, started the thirty second ultimate tiebreaker, and to make a long story short, he right before the buzzer went went off. He was in a position, you know, you know, when you get that situation where you've lost control and if you wait, you can award two instead of the one. Right. The two, the two was going to happen, but already had one and it, and it was sudden victory. So I, I didn't want to penalize him if something happened for his aggressive move. So I went ahead and awarded the escape one. So the St. Thomas kid won the match. Well, uh, an instant later, the towel tapper, which back in the day, they were uniform officials registered the state of Florida. He had gotten out to the late to the mat late and he taps me and it, immediately after he taps me, he says, Mike, I think I tapped you too late. Oh, so man. now we got to decide, did he tap me in time before the escape? So if there was no escape. Then the Brandon kid would have won because he was riding him. Whoever, whoever's on top in the three seconds wins. If he didn't tap me too, you know, too late, then the St. Thomas kid wins. So, here I am. I have to, to Wayne Garber was my assistant out of Orlando and we had to mm. confer whether or not mm. who won the state title by if the, ta the timer tapped me in time. And it was a, he said, Mike, you called it at the right time. It's a good, it's a good escape. So we gave the St. Thomas kid the point. He wins the oh. match. Oh my. The, the, the arena, the Brandon fans just go nuts. Oh yeah. And Russ Cozart, he's just like going crazy. And, you know, it, it was just a, there were 2000 Brandon people booing me, but there were about 12,000 people that were excited. Cause you know, back then, you know, Oh yeah. Most of the people did not want to see Brandon win. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brandon was the evil empire back then. Yeah. So it was interesting, you know, there's a lot of pressure and, you know, you had to decide the title for the state tournament that year, you know, on a, based on a towel tap. With oh man. I don't envy. Do you, I don't, do you remember I, that match? I do. I remember that. I wasn't working that. I wasn't working your table, but you know, I was certainly spectating and watching it. And oh man, that was that was crazy. I do remember that. I had forgotten about it until you mentioned it. But I don't. I don't envy you having to make that call because you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Either way you go with the with the time controversy, you're going to you know you're going to wear the horns on that one. So yeah, I, I don't. En I don't envy that one. That was an example where, you know, you know how we always preach as officials that our assistant referee is active and do your job. You know, if you're assistant referee, B, 
be in the match. And thank God, Garber, he came to me definitively and said, no, Mikey, it's all good. You know, we just, we conferred. In my heart, we made the right call because he, he verified that. Um, so, you know, that's just a good, you know, good example of where you need a good, you know, good assistant ref- referee. Amen. Well, so speaking of making the right call, you know, that, that, that brings me into uh, a question I got you. And think long and hard of this. Um, so in your long and storied career as an official, you know, who is your favorite referee and why is it John Cone? <laughs> <laughs> yes, John, you are my favorite referee. <laughs> you will always be my favorite referee. John, you still do you still want me to carry your bags at the tournaments when we we show up at the at the sites? I do. I want you to I want you to carry my bags and then I want you to uh, wash my wristbands and my shirt. And make sure it's pressed and and ready to go. For, I was unaware you know. of this. I was unaware of this arrangement when he said, "Hey, let's get another clip on the on the show." <laughs> no, yeah, John, you're you're my homer. <laughs> but no, no seriously. But really, so, like, you know, what are what are some um, you know, what are a couple of names you know throughout your time that you've been like, you know, that is an an outstanding referee that you know you you wish there were just more of. I'm sure my dad's an, you know yeah. among them, but you know, give us a couple of names. Well, I, with respect to your dad, I've always just enjoyed John. You and I've had some really fun times off the mat at tournaments, which I always valued, and um, we've had some very um, good conversations, some heated conversations. Yep. Um, our personalities are a lot alike, but um, yeah, John, I'm I, um, I I really am glad we've had the opportunity to work together. You're one of my favorite guys to work with as far as being into the match. You're passionate. You're you're always going to be involved. But as far as my my long term mentors, I don't know if you guys remember this guy. His name was Carl Hillman. He was out of Gainesville. He actually got me started in the fish aiding when I was at University of Florida. Um, very first match he took me to, he said, "Go do that match." The kids went out of bounds, and the kids got up and pushed each other. And one kid hit the other kid. And I looked over at Carl and I go. What, what am I supposed to do? Right, I yeah, yeah. What do I do so now? My early indoctrination was pretty significant, but Carl was my, my mentor and got me involved in it. Um, a gentleman that was uh, uh, a professor at University of Florida named Keith Tennant. He actually started the U- University of Florida wrestling club that later turned into the University of Florida wrestling team. Wow. That Interestingly enough, when I was in school up there, they were ninth in the country when they cut the program. So that was a big, you know, big deal back in the day, very controversial. And then moving forward, uh, obviously, just like you, uh, Glenn has been a, a buddy slash friend slash mentor um, in your association, Glenn, Glenn uh, Faust. Uh, another guy um, that I, that's helped me a lot is Pat Fairfax in um, the Jacksonville Association. Um, worked with him many years. Um, black or white, I mean, Either you like him or you don't like him as far as the map, but he's a straight shooter. And he, he taught me not to politicize wrestling. You know, you're there to enforce the rules and you're there to be fair and call it like you see it. So, and you know, Glenn's like that and you're like that. So, you know, that, you know, that's all we can ask for is, is uh, to be straight shooters and, and be fair. So all those guys are very, had a big impact on me and you too, John. Yeah. Well, Oh, I, I know that. I knew that going into this episode. So, But, yeah, you mentioned some great names there. Of course, I, I've given uh, Glenn, you know, all the credit in the world and, and, you know, for 
influencing me as an official. And you mentioned some great names there. And, um, uh, you know, and Pat, you know, you know, Pat's one of those guys that, you know, like you said, you either like him or you don't like him, but he certainly knows the rules. He knows how to apply the rules. And um, he's assertive in doing that. And, and he certainly has that reputation. And, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention Bob Whitaker. Um, you know, and Bob, Bob has certainly, certainly been influential in my wrestling career, um, having, having, having got me into the, the national scene several years back where you see, you know, a whole different level of wrestling. And so, you know, and he's a, he's a very knowledgeable rules guy and does college wrestling. And so, I mean, we could go on and on. And, and of course, you know, we got some great ones in just your association and George Royce and. Keith Williams, you know, and over in the panhandle with you know, Scotty Schindler and Glenn and Rob Hazelwinkle, you know, there's some quality officials, but as we said earlier, we got to, we got to start looking for replacements for us. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm really excited for you guys. Uh, I think the last time I talked to Kurt and your association, you guys have like 27 guys. And I remember back in the day when you just had a handful of guys. So that's, you guys are an example of, you know, growing, a you know, numbers in the association, which that's really exciting. I, I hope we can do that here in Ocala as we, you know, go on down the line. Well, you know, the key is going to be retention. Well, you yeah. know, it's some, something that, you know, I, I just actually thought about, you know, maybe, you know, part of, you know, I think a lot of it, uh, the, you know, hey, we're running shortage of officials, you know, can call – can fall upon like, oh, well, you're not recruiting enough, but it's also wrestling is growing. You know, the women's wrestling is growing at an exponential rate. You know, that's just going to get more growth. Yep. So it might not just be that you guys aren't recruiting. You might be doing just as well as recruiting. It's just that, and this is a good problem to have, that the sport is outgrowing the uh, the amount of officials that we're able to, uh, to get. So you know, it might just be a, a, a problem on the back end of it, of it, you know, wrestling outpacing how much that we can get get new guys in. You're absolutely right, Jordan. The the, the girl side of it is huge. It's really – John, you, you may agree with me, but in, in a lot of respects, it's actually saving our sport because numbers I, that the boys, boys are I way down. I absolutely agree. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So the girls thing is a big deal. Yeah. Well, and as we're sitting here talking about that, the growth on the on the female side that that also creates a, a pool of young officials that we can we can try to pull from. So, um, you know, that's it. Talking that's about a, female officials, absolutely. Yeah, to my knowledge, I think you guys have the only female official in the state of Florida. Am I right? Well, I don't know about that. I know we do have a female official, but like you know, just like we're saying, and it's obvious, um, you know, the numbers of of uh, female wrestlers really is outnumbering the number of male wrestlers getting into the sport. So, you know, yep. with that increased number, maybe we can, maybe we can pull some officials out of that pool as well. I'm, I mean, I'm certainly hopeful that's the case, uh, you know, down the line. So, but Mike, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, man. I, I have been tickled to talk with you, man. And I learned some things about you that I didn't know already. And, and uh, it's nice to hear about your Hall of Fame experience, and it's well-deserved. And, and um, again, I look forward to seeing you. I don't know if I'll be able to work with you at all this year. I certainly hope so. And, um, again, I appreciate your influence in my wrestling career, my uh, officiating career. Thank you, guys. I, I want to uh, thank you for having me on the show. And um, I think it's great that you're promoting wrestling in the state of Florida. I'm certainly going to um, – 
uh, ask my guys to check it out and anyone I come in contact with in the North Central Florida area, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up your podcast. So thanks for what you're doing and thanks for promoting the sport, guys. Soundstripe.